This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I am joined, as always, by George Smith. How are you doing, George? Not bad, mate. How's things with yourself? Yeah, good, thank you. Another busy weekend uh, travelling to London to cover Grimsby, of course, but uh, not too bad. Nice relaxing day off today. So, um, yeah, nice and recharged and ready to, to crack into some viewers' questions or listeners' questions rather rather than viewers. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. This should be a, a fun one, something we don't have. In fact, we've never done it, actually, something we've never done before, something a bit off the cuff and looking forward to it. Uh, as always, I would point you in the direction of following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24 and make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed in whatever podcast app you use. We're available across all platforms. As always, as I say, on today's pod, we're going to be answering some of your questions, which you've sent in via social media, which we're looking forward to. And we're also going to run the rule over some latest developments in the championship. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. The Championship Chat Podcast is brought to you in association with Manscaped, the men's best below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offer precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped have just launched their fourth generation trimmer. Yes, that's fourth generation, the Lawnmower 4.0, and you can access this anywhere across Europe. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. Now everyone can feel confident when shaving their boys. This upgrade trimmer includes a multifunction on off switch that can engage a travel lock to avoid any unfortunate accidents. And it also gives you the ability to turn the 400k LED spotlight on and off when you need a more precise shave. The Lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customise your trim with the free edition of guard lengths with sizes 1 to 4. And did I mention wireless charging? The new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction which can help last battery life even longer. Men, if you've been shaving with the wrong tools, make sure you check out Manscaped and with the code CHAMPCHAT you can get 20% off and free worldwide shipping at manscaped.com. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. So, George, we're going to start with our Q&A and then go on to a little bit of uh, general championship maintenance um, that's occurred over the last seven days or so. Not uh, in particular looking at Cardiff City's appointment of Steve Morrison until the end of the season, a bit on Barnsley as well, and uh, a few other bits. So we're going to go through those in a little bit. But we've got some questions from... Our lovely listeners that we do love to hear from. Um, I've picked some. There was quite a few, so I picked some. I picked seven out in particular that I like the look of with a, a bit of a wide range. So um, pretty generic to start things off. If you had to predict the top six and relegation places now, who would it be? We probably could have expected something along these lines. I'll go first because I obviously know these questions because I've I've written the script as the host. So I'll give you a bit of thinking time. To, to work out because this is obviously fresh to you. Um, top six, not particularly in any order, but obviously Bournemouth, Fulham and West Brom, I think we're, everyone's pretty set that that's going to be the top three pretty much or certainly going to be three of the top six. So it really is, you're looking at those three following places. Now, I've picked three teams. I don't think any of them are currently in the top six. So all of mine are currently residing outside. Hang on, who's... Oh, no. That's a lie. Two of uh, one of them. Oh no, two of them actually are in the top six. That's sort of rubbish. Um, two of them are in the top six. I've lost track of where that that playoff group so clumped. I've lost track of where two of them were. So I've gone for QPR, 
Stoke City. I didn't realise Stoke had crept back in, but they won back-to-back games, so they have. Um, I've got QPR, Stoke City and Nottingham Forest are my predictions for the top six. If you put a bullet to my head right now, Stoke have lost Harry Souter today to a, a serious knee injury. He's not going to play again this season. That is a big blow for them. But they've got Tyrese Campbell to come back to full fitness. And I like Michael O'Neill. And Stoke always seem to get me. I didn't put them in at the start of the season for this very reason. I had Middlesbrough in there and who else? And Sheffield United. So I'm dropping Middlesbrough and Sheffield United from my preseason predictions. Although I do think Middlesbrough will improve under Wilder. So depending on their January business, I could see potentially Middlesbrough creeping in and around near that those positions. But I'm going for QPR as well because I feel like they've got enough firepower to get them up there with and strength in depth when you think that they've also got um, Charlie Austin and Andre Gray that haven't played bulk, a bulk of minutes. Lyndon Dykes led the line, generally speaking, this season. So they've got three good striking options. They are conceding a lot of goals and that could be their downfall. And I think, I will just say, if someone like a Middlesbrough, a Coventry, a Luton can... You know, maybe add one or two in January just to give themselves a little bit more depth, then they could be a better bet just because I think QPR are a bit vulnerable defensively. And then Nottingham Forest, I'm just a big Steve Cooper fan. I think I've made that clear across this podcast. And I think that they're, they're just trending in the right direction very much so. And they look like a team that's getting stronger and stronger. Again, with a little bit of business in January, I think they could really kick on. They're only four points off the playoffs to say what a horrendous start they had. So for me, that's my top six if I had to pick right now. And then really boringly, in terms of the relegation zone, I actually would say the three that are down there right now. I would say Hull, Barnsley and Derby would be my predictions right now to go down. I had Hull and Derby at the start of the season. I had... Blackpool actually which obviously looks very silly right now they were the team that I also had in there Blackpool obviously won't get relegated they, they would have to have a serious drop off for that to be the case so I'm going to say I, I'm more strong on Derby and Hull still and I think Barnsley it, it, it's very hard to say right now because we don't know who the manager is of course they've been linked with um, a few people that we're going to discuss later in the pod but it's tricky because it's a squad that finished sixth last year or fifth, they might finish fifth in the end. I think they finished fifth actually. Um, they look, but they've just underperformed so horrendously without some key players, but not that many players missing. So it's whether you think that a new manager coming in. It basically, do you think Marcus Shot was the only reason that they managed to drop off so horrifically? I don't. I do think he was the wrong appointment, deserved to be sacked. But to go from fifth to twenty third, bearing in mind that they'd actually be rock bottom if Derby hadn't had a points deduction. I think you've got to lay some of that at the players' doors, definitely. And therefore, again, if you put a gun to me right now, I go Hull, Barnsley, and Derby, which is the current bottom three. George, what about you? Where are you going for? I've left a few big, you know, people, Coventry City fans, for example, have probably raised a couple of eyebrows, and we've been very complimentary. And I do like them a lot. I think they've been fantastic. I just worry about the depth in that squad. If they were to get a couple of key injuries, do they have the you know, the quality and reserve to come in to those games when we get to the later end, the latter end of the season. Yeah, I think you're right. There's obviously this playoff race, you can probably exclude the current top three. I think they're probably, they're probably gone, if anything, already into the distance, even though it's, it's only mid-November, but obviously I think Bournemouth, Fulham, 
you would think are going to be the top two with the way they've been playing in recent weeks. But obviously, things can change very drastically in this league, as we know. But in terms of the in terms of those remaining three spots for the top six, I think it could be anybody's money. I really do. I think it's just so tightly packed. When you when you look at it at the minute, seven points separate Stoke in fifth and Preston in seventeenth. It's it's ridiculous when you look at it, but. If I had to pick three that are going to join Bournemouth, Fulham and West Brom, not in any particular order like yourself, I think I would be I think I would be inclined to put Forrest in there. I think we've seen a, a great resurgence under Steve Cooper in the last last six or seven weeks or so. They've been terrific to watch. They've been entertained. They've been scoring goals as well. That's the best thing about them. Um, in terms of who joins them, it, it's a really, really difficult one. I mean... If it was who I'd like to see up there, it would probably be a different answer. But in terms of who I think it will be, I think, personally, I'm going to go with a team that you've not mentioned. And I, I've got a sneaky feeling Blackburn could do it this year. It may, may be a surprise on that. But I think when you look at what they've done in terms of their attacking outlet this season, they score a lot of goals. Do you think they keep, keep Barrett and Diaz? Because he's out of contract in the well, summer. So if someone, if if someone comes in with some money in January, he's out of contract Absolutely. in the summer as well. Could, they could be tempted to sell. They sold Adam Armstrong in the summer. It's very, very possible. But I think even as big as a loss he would be, obviously he would. He's got 12 goals already this season, showing no signs of slowing down. But Tony Mowbray's also got other attacking players to call upon that have been doing the business so far. And I think when you've got the likes of Sam Gallagher, Tyrese Dolan, who I think is arguably one of the best players in the Championship for his age, you've got Ian Pervader, who began to show glimpses prior to the international break that there's going to be a player in there. Bradley Dack will come back from injury, hopefully not before too long. There'll be that added bonus for it. And Blackburn, to me, they're a tough nut to crack at home, I think. And it could be that home form that, that does the business. I mean, they've scored 20 goals at home already this season, which isn't bad going. All right, they've conceded 17, but seven of those were in one game. So if they can maintain that that standard at home, the lowest position Blackburn have been in so far this season is 13th. They've spent several weeks in the top six already. So they've been hovering there or thereabouts, and they're only outside of the top six at the minute on goal difference. So Forest they did and start like this two. last year, though, as well. They did they start did. well last season, and they then did, completely and they did fell away. off a cliff. They did, but obviously, I think yeah, I, it's difficult to compare two seasons. In it, anything can happen. It's like with Stoke. Mm-hmm. I've worked out a stat today. They had exactly the same amount of points at this point last season after seventeen games. So who knows how things can go? So I'm going to go for Forest and uh, Blackburn Rovers. And I'm gonna I'm gonna lay down the gauntlet. I, I can see Middlesbrough mounting a push under Chris Wilder. I mean January's gonna be important. It could be a telling factor in that. But I just get the feeling that he's gonna go in there and make a serious impact. Obviously, there are no guarantees, it's just a hunch I've got. But I think after the way that he was at Sheffield United, the way he transformed them, I think he could do the same. Middlesbrough, he may not have the same passion for the job with him obviously being a a die-hard Sheffield United supporter, but we know what he's like. We know the quality he's got as a manager, and there's always one team that comes from nowhere and makes that that makes that run. And obviously, we're normally saying that like end of March, April time, with a few games to go. But at the minute, they're four points off. It, it's nothing with the with the stage of the season we're at, and with a manager like Chris Wilder. And like we say, January, yeah, will be important. But Chris Wilder is a manager that always, always gets the very best out of what he's got. He improves players. He's proven it throughout his career. So I think they're going to be the dark horses to watch in this race. Stoke, QPR currently in that minute. Coventry as well. They may be able to keep up the gas. They may have a very good chance themselves. But I just got got a sneaky feeling that Blackburn's attacking prowess might 
might help them. Forrester, obviously, on an upward trajectory at the minute. And Middlesbrough, I think, are going to be a, a really tough unit to stop under Chris Wilder. But at the minute, let, let's be honest, with the way it is the league table at this moment in time, it's very, very hard to guess because we've we've left out there the likes of Swansea who have been ticking along reasonably well under Russell Martin. They've taken their time to adapt, but results have not been bad in recent weeks. Blackpool are certainly going to be trying to think they're in it. You can't really discount anybody at this point in the season. It's it's incredibly hard. I mean, they've been pretty poor so far, but Sheffield United are only seven points off. They they could turn a corner. Things could improve there. It's very hard to predict, but for me, the top six, not in any particular order, will be Bournemouth, Fulham, West Brom, Middlesbrough, Blackburn Rovers and Nottingham Forest. So, on to the bottom three. I'm going to agree with two of yours, and I'm going to go with Derby and Hull. I can't see Derby getting out of it, and obviously we don't know yet. I agree. Those are the two them. I feel most strongly about. I think Hull, for me, it's, it's the long sequences they go without getting wins on the board, and it remains to be seen how they're gonna how they're gonna carry on from that win at Barnsley last weekend because the international break probably come at the worst possible time for them after getting that win. Obviously, Barnsley, it's it's hard to predict at this moment in time with them not having a manager in place, but I do think that their their squad will eventually shine through and produce better performances than what they have I mean, been doing. I mean, I'm just to play devil's advocate, and I'm not 100% sold on, uh, on Barnsley going down. They're the one I'm really sure about. But they got rid of Struber, beat Derby, and then put in a really poor performance against Hull and lost to a relegation rally, a bad Hull side, let, let's say, as well. So, yeah, they beat Derby, but Derby are in relegation form as well as the points deduction at the moment. And then they've lost to Hull at home. And Shot was the one that was meant to be causing all the issues. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was always hard to predict how Barnsley were going to go. They they lost a, a very, very good manager and it was always going to have an impact. But as I said last week and probably the week before as well, apart from really Alex Moat and Daryl DK, they didn't really lose anybody who was an influential figure in that squad last season. So... The players have to take their share of the blame. Everybody, whatever club it is, always points the finger at the manager if forms off and results aren't being secured. But at the end of the day, the players are the ones out on the pitch come three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. They've got to take their responsibilities. The manager can only do so much. But for me, I think, along with Derby and Hull, I, I, I fear for Peterborough. I really do. I mean, they're leaking goals. That's the biggest issue for me. They've got the worst defence in the league, 32 conceded. And they've only scored 17, which is better than the other three currently camped inside the bottom three. But I think for the attacking players they've got, they can produce more. I mean, Johnson, Clark, Harris, we've yet to really see him at full throttle this season. Sariki Dembele has shown glimpses. So if them two, particularly those two, can start to find some form and some momentum and do what they did in League One last season, then they might have a chance. But it's defensively that worries me. It really is. And Peter, I mean, they've always been a side that have more often than not, produce results that have read 5-4 and 4-3 and things like that. They don't do things easily. They like entertainment, which is great if entertainment's what you're after, but the way they're leaking goals is a little bit of a concern. So, in that respect, I do fear for them. So, obviously, it depends on who Barnsley bring in, what happens there and where they go and how things change. But for me, the bottom three come the end of the season, Derby, Hull and Peterborough. Excellent. Question number two. Um, who is the best strike partnership to have played in the championship? Oof. Now, there's some good contenders, but one that sprung to mind to me instantly. And 
I suppose it depends what you're looking for. Are you looking for an iconic pairing that did it over a number of seasons? Or are we looking for one particular season where two players played up front together and were electric? And I've gone for the latter. And I've gone for Troy Deeney and Odion Agarlo in 2014-15, who, of course, scored 41 goals and got 14 assists between them as Watford um, they finished second, of course, that season because um, Jeffrey Wednesday denied them the title on the last day of the season. And Bournemouth won the league, I think it was. Um, so I'm going to go for Dini and Agarlo, and I just think they were a really great pairing. Forget like the numbers speak for themselves, but the way they played, obviously, Dini. I mean, of that split of 14 assists, Dini got 10 of them and 20 goals. So you can tell how Dini was the link man. He's a target man, which we know. This was Dini at his best holding the ball up, bringing plays into play and using his intelligence to feed the pace of Agarlo. He just played on the last shoulder. He got too much speed, clinical finisher, and it was a it was a dream partnership. So for me, I would that's the one that immediately sprung to mind. I had a little look at some of the stats and it backed it up. I mean, 55 goal contributions between two players over the course of the season between your two strikers is sublime. So... Depends what you're looking for, but for me, I've gone for one amazing season from two players rather than longevity. Uh, and Dini and Agarlo get the nod from me. What about you? That is a really, really tough question. I'm getting flashbacks now. Great championship seasons of what it was like, sponsored by Coca-Cola and Empower and things like that. That is a really, really tough one. If I was allowed multiple answers, I think I'd deliver multiple ones. But You're not, just to be abundantly clear. A few, few honourable mentions. I think you would have mentioned the partnership that Danny Ings and Sam Vogt struck up at Burnley. That was quite a fruitful partnership. If you're having someone, I want an honourable mention. Um, uh, Kevin Doyle and Shane Long, I would like as a, yep. an honourable yep. mention. That was a good one. I mean, when you break it down, Jay Bothroyd and Michael Chopper in their prime, yeah. they were a good combination. There's many, but... I'm going to go for one pairing, and weirdly enough, it is the exact same season as yours, and I'm going to go for Bournemouth's Callum Wilson and Jan Kermigan in the 2014-15 season. 59 goal contributions between those two that season, in the how season many, that Bournemouth won assists? the title. How, what were the, I want the goals. Right, ones. Callum Wilson got 20 goals and 13 assists. Jan, 13 Kermigan, assists. Jan Kermigan, 15 goals and 11 assists. So it's 50, very even split on both. 59 like. contributions. And let's not remember, let's not forget as well, rather, that they also had Matt Ritchie pulling the strings in that side as well. well he that got double figures beyond. He did. Matt Ritchie got 32 direct goal contributions that season on his own. It's not much of a shot that went up, really. So, is it? Not really. <laughs> but no, I think for me, Callum Wilson and Yannick Kermigan, 2014 15, like yourself, they, they were a formidable partnership last season. And. Um, Callum Wilson, obviously, coming from Coventry. And Kermigan, I mean, he'd been around the block a little bit, Charlton and things like that, but those two just struck it up. And at the time, Jan Kermigan was 33 and Callum Wilson was 23. And it just seemed to click. It worked. And like you say, when you've got something like Matt Ritchie pulling the strings out wide, it's a striker's dream. But it proves that those two were central to creating things as well. As I say, they managed to, to get 24 assists between them that season. So... They were very, very good, but I think you've got to look at others. Jordan Rhodes and Rudy Gestead at Blackburn in the prime. They were a good combination. Yeah. There's been a lot. Didn't there quite, has been a lot. Again, depends what you want as your perimeters, but they didn't win exactly. anything, obviously, did they? Um, Gestead no. and Rhodes. Whereas they didn't get for both of ours, got promoted. And 
feels a little bit more significant yeah. when there's something earned at the end of it. Without uh, a doubt, but very so, good. We're going we're going off piece with this next one. So this is nothing to do with football, never mind the championship. Oh right. What's your dream main course and drink? <laughs> so I assume this is if, if you're on death row, this oh, is your last God. ever meal. What what are you having to eat and drink? Just the main. Not interested in our starters or desserts. Bloody hell, that, I wasn't expecting one like this. Okay, right, you going first or am I? I'll go first because I already know. I, I, I re- regularly talk about my dream menu if I'm going to get killed. I don't know if I think, oh, I'm paranoid that someone's going to do me in or something. Or The latter is actually, I just love food, to be honest. But go I'm on, between, I'd be between two, two. Now, I love Sunday dinner. Sunday dinner is an elite food. That would that would be up there. I haven't gone for that. I'd be between my mum's Sunday dinner and steak so i'm gonna have a rare t-bone steak um has to be rare anything cooked above medium rare is absolutely ruined do not come to me with a medium steak you may as well have had a beef burger because it's just pointless so i'll have a rare t-bone steak um chips of course and uh garden peas that'll be that'll be my dream and i'll uh i'll have a pint of dark fruits to go with that please because i i'm not much, I, I don't mind beer but i'm more of a cider drinker and um in typical white girl fashion uh i'm quite a fan of dark fruits so uh red t-bone steak portion of chips and garden peas for me please with a pint of dark fruits that would be lovely george what are you having well i'm gonna i'm gonna match you on the drink Love a pint of dark fruits myself. We're probably going to get stick for that, aren't we? Being being glasses lightweights or something like that, but we can take it. Up the right, it is what it is. Exactly. Up the fruit juice, the the fruit pop. Anyway, for food, I think I'd have to go for my mum's speciality, her own baked uh, mac and cheese with bacon in mm. it. It is it is top level. I'm not. I see, I feel like, like I like past. Past is okay, but it it doesn't feel like a treat. I would never go. I very rarely go to a restaurant and order pasta. Sometimes I'll have a lasagna because I do like lasagna. Can't go wrong with lasagna, but but, no, but very rarely I would order pasta out. I just don't feel like it's a treat. I feel like it's something that you have that's quick and easy and relatively cheap in the week. I don't feel like it's a a, a, a treat. Simple is the best, as they say. Mm. That's why I like you. <laughs> I was good that. Um, so back onto football, which is good. Um, what's the best championship goal you've ever seen live? Oh Christ! This is quite easy for me. I think um, it's got to be for me. Atty knew who against Preston. He's <laughs> got to be now. If you haven't, if you don't know the goal we're talking about, it was from what was it? Seventeen, seventeen, eighteen. Yeah, it was eight, when Luke, eight, Luke, eight, I was in charge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, March, Wednesday. Wednesday. To paint the scene, Wednesday. Um, had obviously finished back-to-back playoff seasons before that, 15, 16, 16, 17 under Carlos Carvajal. He got sacked um, on New Year's Eve. Jos Lukai comes Eve. in. What did I say? New Year's Eve? I meant Christmas Eve. Yeah, yeah. Christmas, Christmas Eve. Eve. He came in on Christmas Eve. I did mean that. Um, and when he started to go up the table, Ati knew he was leading the line with Lucas Joao. And he scored just... I, I can't even describe it. He gets the ball from... He plays a short corner. He beats one. He nutmegs the second and then with his weaker left foot bends it into the top corner from an acute angle. And it was just mental because this was a game that Wednesday were one no, they were nil nil. They they went to one all. It was one nil, one all, two one. Um, I think that was to for three no, one, wasn't it? And then Forrest Jerry's came on and scored the yeah, free it was kick. For, 
Yeah, it was for three one. Yeah, one, that yeah. was for three one, um, and it just the place went mental because it, I just go on YouTube and type it in. Just Atty knew who Preston twenty eighteen. It was it was after Christmas, so you will not be disappointed. It just mental. Um, that was the best goal in terms of an atmosphere that a goal produced. It would have to be Ross Wallace in the playoffs against Brighton in fifteen sixteen. Oh. I know. I'm sorry. This, you're this is me, not... you're making me sad now. I'm depressed. I know. Um, but the best individual goal I've ever seen live, and I mean Adam Reach could have won this award about nine times during the <laughs> the eighteen nineteen season. Um, but for me, I'd go New Year against Preston. What about you, George? Doesn't have to well, be Sheffield Wednesday. That's just the it's well, just the bulk it, of the football we've watched. Be, obviously, it is going to be. Uh, it's going to have to be an Adam Reach goal. I was torn between two of them. I was torn between his one at home to Leeds. And he's won away at Aston Villa inside. I was there. Seconds. I was there at Villa. I was as well. I was in the, in the press box that day. Oh, I was in the away end. But I th- I think he's one at home to Leeds just edges it. I mean, does the West Brom one come into the conversation? Good strike, but I don't think it's up there with those two. Okay. Very good goal, it must be said, but not up there with those two. But no, the one against Leeds was remarkable. Throwing comes in off the right hand side, reach brings it down. And then just well, he didn't even it touch it actually. Left, he just let, it run, he let it run across his body. Peacock Farrell, who consequently plays in goal for Sheffield Wednesday now, just thinks it's just going to sail over the bar into the Leppings Lane end with the Leeds fans already jeering at what a wasteful chance from absolutely miles out. It hits the post and then slow motion just goes in and the whole place erupts. I remember being there last night, that night, and I think I just sat there with my mouth wide open for like five seconds thinking, have I really just seen that happen? It was an unbelievable goal, and it's. I don't think it's one that. See, I'm going to put something controversial. I was there as well, so I could have picked that. But I think it's more impressive to strike the ball off the ground and score a worldly goal than it is in the air. Because I feel like everyone, and I'm not like trying to take away from the quality of the goal, every one of us in the park has hit a, a volley from 30 yards and it's flown in. You've just caught it, sweet. I think the technique to hit a ball off the ground and generate the same pace. Forestier is at Norwich, for example. Obviously, yeah. I wasn't there, so I can't pick I it. I wasn't there. I that, would have voted that, for that. If that, I was for there. me, is way better than any vo- volley goal. And that's, again, why you go for New Year. Yeah. Because it's it the skill to beat two men. But then to hit it with that precision off the ground, I think it's so much easier to hit a ball from distance on the volley or half volley, as Reaches was, than it is on the ground, in my opinion. I think the technical ability you need is far greater. Yeah, perhaps, but for me, I just think that maybe the magnitude of the game and things like mm. that, big Yorkshire derby Friday under the lights, night, light on, on sky, yeah. it was just a, a sensational goal. And I think the reaction of the Wednesday players and even Adam Reach himself could not believe what he'd just done. It was a, it was an amazing goal. And got to mention, Mateus clicked that night, scored a lovely, wonderful goal for yeah, Any other but, night, that would have been best goal again. Yeah. But not quite on that night. But um, no, he certainly had his moments, Adam Reach, with some worldies. West Brom fans yet to see it, albeit not playing in the position to produce those nowadays. But it was a it was a sensational goal. And to be honest with you, Attenham against Preston was up there. It was a very, very good goal, that one. But I think Reach against Leeds just edges it for me. But there could have been several others. But for me, Reach was the best I've seen. OK, next up, um, who is your favourite player in the Championship? Right now, Ooh. see, there was a few. Like, I'm a big Tyrese Dolan fan, generally speaking. Um, Shane Lavery has got a place in my heart from this season. I don't really know why, but I've, I've he's taken your to new him. Roman Sawyer, Roman Sawyer's crush, isn't he? 
Yeah, it's a bit of infatuation rather than deep love at the moment, but I, I do like him. But he's been injured for a few weeks, so it feels wrong to pick him. I'm actually going to go for Brennan Johnson, I think, because mm. I really, I think he's a re- really good player. He's an exciting player. And he also, I find that the player I like the most also fluctuates via form. So if Tyrese Dolan scores a hat-trick next week, I'll be per- firmly back on the, the Tyrese Dolan um, train, equally if Shane Lavery goes and bags some more goals. But for me, Brennan Johnson's just, I feel like for such a young player, I feel like he's such an important component of this Nottingham Forest side. It feels like, you know, he's 20 and he was on loan in League One last year. And I think if he doesn't play, you would see a massive drop-off in terms of not only quality in the final third in his goal threat, but intensity off the ball in terms of his pressing ability. I mean, yeah. Lewis Grabbin at, what, 34, he's not got the legs to, to carry out the pressing levels that Steve Cooper might want. So to have someone like Brennan Johnson who'll run all day and has the end product at the end of it, I think he's fantastic. And for me, Brennan Johnson's probably my favourite player at the moment. Um, I really like watching him play. And he's not your traditional silky number 10 either. I like that he's a little bit off the cuff and a bit, um, not scruffy, but he's he's a little bit, He's not like an adult wrapped where it's he just glides across the pitch. You feel mm. like there's um, a bit of streetwise fighter in him as well, and I like that. I feel like it's it's more relatable, if anything. So for me, Brennan Johnson, George, what are you thinking? Well, everyone at the end of the day loves a striker. I bang on about him every single week. I've got to go with Dominic Solanke. I've been massively impressed by him this season. As I said a few weeks ago, I think the best thing that happened for his career was dropping down into the Championship. It's allowed him to find his feet. And he's certainly proven that. He's been terrific this season. 13 goals already um, in 17 games. I mean, when you compare it to Mitrovic, it's it's not quite the same level. But if Mitrovic wasn't doing what he was doing, then I think Solanke would be getting a lot more credit than he's currently getting from those outside of the, outside of the Vitality Stadium. For me, he's central to what Bournemouth do. He's their main man. He's the the main man at the top end of that pitch. A lot of what they do goes through him. And the truth is, whenever he tends to score, Bournemouth tends to win. That that's the thing. He's he puts himself about. He's not just a a big physical striker. He's got a bit of pace about him. He can hold the ball up as well and bring others into play. And Scott Parker for me has taken him to a whole new level this season and been mightily impressed. I mean, he he showed promising signs last season. He got a lot of unearthed stats last season that made very good viewing and reflecting on that probably weren't picked up every week. It was well over 20 goal contributions, just him alone with goals and assists. And he looks on course to smash that this season with the way he's been playing. Um, so for me, Solanke is somebody I'm really enjoying keeping a close eye on at the moment. He's, he's scoring goals for fun. He's helping Bournemouth win games and he, he's just proving central to what Scott Parker's trying to do there. And for me, I think if he keeps this up, if Bournemouth go up, I think if he stays at Bournemouth, this could be a chance for him to prove himself as a Premier League player, which everybody a few years ago thought he was going to be. So I think, yeah, as disappointed as he will have been to drop into the Championship, I think it's it's done him the world of good for, for his own development and his own career. So I hope to see him one day, you never know, playing at the top level and maybe yeah, winning an England shirt. Yeah, he's certainly a more rounded footballer. Um, I still have slight doubts over whether he seems to score in batches quite a lot and I just mm. wonder whether how much that would translate. I think he would be good in the. I think he's he could play in the Premier League, but I think you need. I don't think you can rely on him as your main goalscorer in the Premier League. I'm I'm obviously happy to be proven wrong. Really good Championship striker. I think his all round game is the more impressive part of his his 
yeah. um, skill set is what I'm trying to say, rather than him being a natural goal scorer. I think he, he, he offers a lot more than that. And his, his goal scorer, you don't bring him in if you just need someone to sit the ball in the back of the net. In, in my opinion, he wouldn't be the best choice. You pick someone like Mitrovic, for example. Mm. Um, but he's doing really well. Final question of this uh, Q&A, and then we'll go on to some championship housekeeping. Um, what are your thoughts on the EFL's profit and sustainability ruling and whether it helps the competitiveness of the championship? Now, you, you well, if you may not know, but George certainly knows I have very strong views on this. Um, and strong. to avoid... That's an understatement. I know. I, 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 I just I, sit back now and let you talk? You could do, but I'm going to offer you the opportunity to go first rather than me. Uh... Fair enough. Well, I mean, he's just the... <laughs> The point is, it is the way it is, isn't it? It's it's at the end of the day... It's great analysis, it is the way it is. But you know what I'm going to say? You know what I'm going to say? You're rewarded for failure. It's as simple as that. The three clubs that drop out of the Premier League, they get up there, they don't perform particularly well. Certainly, for instance... Norwich so you're talking about parachute premiums rather than FFP now? I'm talking about parachute premiums, then to bring it into that. I mean, obviously... Well, we know firsthand what our FFP works for our situation with Sheffield Wednesday and what happened there with the breach of the thirty-nine million over the three seasons. So it, it can be cruel if if you're going for promotion like Sheffield Wednesday did, like Derby County did, and it goes wrong, you're, you're in big trouble. But at the same time, how are these clubs expected to compete with those dropping down from the Premier League without being able to flood the money in themselves? These clubs essentially are. Obviously, like Sheffield Wednesday, like Derby County, have been chomping at the bit for years and years to, to get back in to the Premier League. Obviously, in Sheffield Wednesday's case, now it's obviously a long, long, long way off and it looks the same for Derby with what's coming for them. But they've been punished for trying to make it a level playing field the best they can against what they've got to compete against. It's like, you look at Bournemouth and Fulham at the moment, and no disrespect to them two clubs, no disrespect to the fans, it's not their fault. They're, they're seeing... They're, football team winning games and I'd be delighted if it was if it was my club up there. But when you look at the comparison in their squad to say Coventry City's in fourth, there is no match. And that's credit to Coventry that they've managed to bridge the gap like they have done this season. But for me, it's just not fair. It isn't fair at all. I mean, it's the way it is. Nobody at the end of the day is going to change that unless anything drastic happens. But I think the EFL have got to look at their rules and, and look at the fact that how do they expect these teams that have been in the Championship for years, like your established Championship clubs, such as your, your Nottingham Forest, your Middlesbroughs, your Millwalls, things like that, who have been there year after year after year in the last 10, 15 years or whatever. How are they meant to compete and have a, have a real go if they're going to get punished for spending just to try and bridge the gap? We, we know so Forest have do you think do you think that they should be reducing the parachute payments or do you think they should be scrapping FFP and let anyone spend what they want? I don't think they should scrap the FFP. I think there's got to be there's got to be a threshold, there's got to be a limit where teams can say, right, that is our boundary, that's what we can spend. Should I think higher? the parachute payments... Yeah, I think I think realistically, when you look, certainly in, the, in the, what we've experienced in the last 12 months, for instance, when things can happen like that, I think things have got to be done, and I think the bar has got to be raised. To I, I don't know X amount of money, whatever. Yeah, it but would if the be. bar was raised, that would mean if COVID happened, for example, then exactly. clubs would be even more at risk of going under. Yeah, it's true, but I'm just playing me, devil's think, advocate. You know what? I, I know think. you are. I think the parachute payments need to either be scrapped completely or significantly reduced. 
I mean, why should you be rewarded for failure? No disrespect. But those clubs will argue that if they don't have that parachute money, then they will potentially go bust when they get come down. Because what if a billionaire owner, take Bournemouth for example, Bournemouth's, yeah. Bournemouth's revenue is minuscule. They are propped up by their billionaire Russian they owner. Are. If he turns around and goes, "You've been relegated from Premier," I'm not interested anymore. With the wages they've got, they go under without any parachute. Yeah, it just doesn't. It just doesn't to me make any form of sense why a team, for instance, let let's look at Norwich a couple of seasons ago. They were absolutely diabolical in the Premier League. Brilliant Championship sides they proved last season, bouncing straight back. But why should they be rewarded with a substantial amount of money? We didn't yeah, spend any they, of it. No, but they still got it. They could have spent some of it if they if it times were different sort of thing. If they got gate revenue and things like that, but I just don't see why teams should be rewarded for failure in the in the in the financial sense that they are. Yes, there's got to be some sort of cushion to help with the blow, but the amount that they're getting is just it just almost makes it for the other for the other clubs that have dropped down. Almost impossible to compete. Obviously, there, there are instances where teams do do perform miracles. We've seen it in the past. Like, for instance, Barnsley had a good go last season. Coventry are having a go this year, but by and large, they they can't they can't get near them in in the grand scheme of a season. But it's the way it is at the minute. It is just something we've got to we've got to put up with. It's probably not going to change anytime soon, but. For me, I think the biggest the biggest issue around the whole financial situation is the fact that these clubs are being rewarded with vast amounts of money for ultimately failing by being relegated. But you've got to then take into account and counter that by looking at the teams they're competing within the league above when they get up there. They've got to spend and they they've they've got to spend like crazy to to get near them. And we we're never unlikely to see a Leicester story ever again. So other than fighting relegation, what hope have they got? So. It's all a bit of a mess, but ultimately it's the way it is, and we've just got to got to accept it and get on with it. For me, I I would echo everything you've said. My my main issue is not with FFP in the slightest; it's with parachute payments mm. and the amount. I do think parachute payments should exist, or I'm okay with them existing. They are way too high, and for me, rather than just repeat everything you've said, because I agree, and I think the the biggest example is. It's very difficult for the clubs, as you say, to compete with those other clubs that haven't been in the Premier League recently. The only way to really compete is to to spend. And, you know, in the situations of Derby and Sheffield Wednesday, for example, there's been a lot of mistakes that were made by that. Let's not get this wrong that they got relegated and Derby are going to get relegated and have been in financial turmoil because of, of parachute payments. They did it because they spent the money badly and didn't sell any of their players afterwards. But it's that risk and reward and it creates too much of a gamble. This is why it comes it comes back to gambling ultimately. And those clubs gambled on getting into the Premier League and spent too much money to do it. Now again, kind of like with a gambler in, in you know in any sense, nobody's putting a gun to their head, no one's forcing them to do it, but you're you're tempting them um in a casino in in you know in trying to get chase promotion. So for me, the way to combat this, and I have written this down in long form, I did a piece for Yorkshire Live probably a couple of months ago now where I broke, sort of broke this down of what I would do. I think mandatory relegation um, wage drops has to be a thing. And I think that's the best way to combat it. If you're Manchester United and you sign Jadon Sancho, you've got to put a mandatory relegation force. In Spain, 
every single player in Spain has a mandatory release clause. Now you can set that release clause at a million, like a hundred million pounds for someone who's worth ten million, if you want to. But I think every club should be made to put them in, and then if you get relegated and you've not negotiated your contracts properly, then I think there's less reason to feel sorry. Also, ultimately, if the the balance of finance was betterly distributed, that there wasn't such a drop-off between the Championship and the Premier League, then we also wouldn't have this issue. But for me, I agree with you entirely that parachute payments are the problem. They need to be lowered. And equally, the way to combat that, because if you lowered them, obviously some clubs need that money. I think you you put mandatory relegation uh, wage drops in. And then you're not stuck with players earning 70 grand a week that you can't afford without the parachute payments. Because equally, you look at someone like Huddersfield and Sheffield United, they've used the parachute payments properly by using it to plug the hole. That's what it's meant for. It's meant to plug the hole in revenue drop between the Premier League and the Championship. But some clubs go and spend that, like Fulham, like um, other clubs that have done this previously, Stoke. They go and use that money and spend it on their squad to try and automatically get promoted again. And when it doesn't happen, as it didn't with Stoke, you've got to completely rebuild. And it's, again, you can say, well, it's the club's fault, but it's not the fans' fault. And ultimately, if the owners will leave and what's left will be a shell of a club. So you've got to try and take that to one side. So for me, I agree with everything you said, but it's it, that the best way forward is to reduce the parachute payments. Keep FFP. I don't mind FFP. I just don't like that there's such a head start for those clubs that, like you say, it's re- rewarding failure in some instances. So I think you've got to put a mandatory uh, relegation wage drop in. I think that's the best way to do it. And then you can lower the parachute payments. And that, that would be what I would say. And that brings our Q&A portion of the podcast to a close thank you to everyone that stuck the questions in and just picked a few out and hopefully you found it interesting this is the championship chat podcast to round off this week's pod um we're going to just do a little bit of housekeeping on some championship news um we're going to start with cardiff city and they've appointed steve morrison until the end of the season george after sacking mick mccarthy he's taken charge of three games so far one win one draw one defeat a bit uninspiring yeah, I think you could say that is probably the right word to define that move from Cardiff. I mean, he's seen a little bit of an uplift. He's managed to, to end that drought of the search for a win and the comeback at Stoke. But I mean, three games, is it really enough to, to give him the job? He took four points from three. It's not as if he came in and won all three. I just don't know why they're writing the season off, essentially. Very, we're only, we're only, I what, think it's a very 15, brave 15. move, uh, 17. I think 17. it's a very, very brave move for a... For a guy that's got no experience of, of managing senior football, obviously you've been doing bits and bobs in the academy and things like that with the club's youth side, but it's obviously a very, very different kettle of fish. But we've seen it in the past, haven't we? We've seen caretakers come into the job and do a pretty steady job. The first one that sticks out in my mind is when Stuart Gray did the did the, uh, did the job at Sheffield Wednesday. He took over from Dave Jones after he was sacked on an interim basis. But he had to, I think it was about 12 games he had before... He was given the job full-time, so he had to prove himself and he, he did justifiably get that job because the performances and results over a 12-game period were, were very encouraging. But I think three games is a rather bold move and I just like you say, it's almost like they're accepting me that the season is over. But 
But it's not over. They, they could go down. They could go down very easily. But were they? Were they possibly looking at themselves and thinking, right? We've, we've obviously been on a, a really, really bad run. The recruitment wasn't great over the summer. Excuse me, I'll do that again. Um, they could be looking at themselves and thinking that we've been on a really bad run. Relegation is certainly a distinct possibility at the time. Recruitment wasn't that good over the summer at all, in my opinion. Do they look at themselves, Cardiff, and think, are we really going to be able to attract the top-end manager that we want? I mean, I was hearing a few weeks ago that apparently Chris Wilder had been to a few Cardiff games and they were lining him up. But was he really realistically going to go into that job with a side hovering just above the relegation zone? Probably not. Who knows? We'll never know now as he's gone to Middlesbrough. But Steve Morrison, I mean, no disrespect to him. He's, it's great that he's been given the opportunity. Everybody's got to start somewhere in their managerial career. But I think with the situation that Cardiff find themselves in now, I just think it's a bit, it's quite a brave move. And it's almost got shades of when, when Frankie McAvoy was given the Preston job when he succeeded mm. Alex Neal. It's, it's quite similar. But obviously, for me, Frankie McAvoy has obviously got a lot more coaching experience. He's older than Steve Morrison is. And like I said, everybody, everybody does have to start somewhere. But for me, I think they... Well, we don't know the discussions they had, who they spoke to and things like that. But surely they could have gone for somebody a little bit more... a little more experienced, a bit more exciting, if that's the right word. But you've got to, got to credit Steve Morrison. He's, he's earned the chance. Obviously, he's done something that the board have liked. Uh, and I wish him all the very best because he was he was a good player in his career, and now let's see how he gets on as a champion as a championship manager. So, good luck to him. But for me, I think if I was a Cardiff supporter, I would be a little bit not annoyed, but I would be a little bit uninspired and disappointed by it. I think for me, I think you're you're on the money when you talk about a lack of ability to attract a top end manager. Because first of all, there aren't that many out there at the minute. On the market, Chris Wilder was the obvious choice that got snapped up. Chris Hewton, maybe. I just don't see him jumping straight back in. I think he took took his time before going to Forest. And when you factor in Cardiff's financial situation... Exactly. Vincent Vincent Tan is not prepared to spend any money um, at the moment. I think he's been hit by COVID in particular. But there were some quotes going around probably a few weeks ago now from their CEO saying that not only would there be no money to spend in January, but the budget for next summer would be minuscule as well. So you're asking someone to come in with Cardiff 20th in the table, close to the relegation zone, horrendous form, with a squad that's probably... It's an it's an average mid table squad in my opinion. Anything above twelfth with this squad would be an overachievement. So it's not like they've got a lot to work with. And then when you look at the amount of players Cardiff have got out of contract in the summer to run you through some, Josh Murphy, who of course is out on loan with Preston anyway and isn't contributing. Alex Smithies, their number one goalkeeper right now. Sean Morrison, their captain. Um Aidan Flint, someone who's played a lot of football for them. Marlon Pack. Isaac Vassell, who's obviously been very badly injured. Joe Rawls, Will Volks. In particular, the midfielders, when you look at Morrison, Rawls, Volks, Pack. To not be able to rebuild that squad with any money is going to be an incredibly difficult job. So I don't know who's on the market right now. 
that would want to go to Cardiff, really. So that's that 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 that's a worrying thing for me. I don't see them as a very attractive op, uh, proposition right now. When you look at those players that are available, fortunately, the likes of Kiefer Moore um, are contracted for longer. He's his contract's twenty twenty three, so you know his contract's twenty twenty three as well. He's probably going to have to be sold next summer if you want a good fee for him, because I can't see him signing a new contract particularly. Possibly, even though obviously things you thought would go better this season, Cardiff mm. would have been perfect offloading him in the summer because well, he, he would have been in, he he headed in into the summer in good form. Yeah, in hindsight, but if you're a new manager coming in, exactly, you've got all those hindsight. players. You've got all exactly. those players out of contract. Kiefer Moore's got one year left, so you might have to sell him. I don't think it's a very attractive job right now. So no, I can understand not, um, why they've appointed Steve Morrison, but on the same token. For if I was a Cardiff fan, I'd be a little bit concerned because we've seen clubs go in this sort of direction, and it sort of ends in League One. Ultimately, it's a bit like where Preston are going at the minute. You would you bank? Yeah, I'd bank on Cardiff probably going into League One before the Premier League, based on the current financial situation and the state of the squad. If I'm honest, so it's a it's a risky appointment, and let's just hope that it's one that. Goes well because Steve Morrison seems like a really good coach. He's cut, he's, he's cut his teeth there, but to make the step up to Championship football, and for me, it's more I don't like appointments till the end of the season unless you've got like ten games left. There's seven, there's seventeen games gone. They've still got twenty nine games, and to only appoint someone till the end of the season who can't plan in January because they don't know if they're going to be there, who can't plan long term, it's just a waste of time. I feel like for everyone, and I felt like that about appointments regardless of what club it is. I don't understand this early in the season exactly. why you're the only se- going till May. The season is, what, 12 weeks old. We're 12 weeks in. There's a long, long, long way to go. I mean, we've, we've not even reached Christmas yet. So like you say, it's a, it's potentially a very dangerous game that Cardiff are playing, but they've done it. It is what it is. Best of luck to Steve Morrison. He might, he might get good results out of this group of players, but, but like you've said... Realistically, who else were they going to attract? So, it it could be, it could be all they really had to play with. But good luck to Steve Morrison. I mean, he's he's obviously like you said, he's proved himself as a coach in some capacity at Cardiff for them to give him the opportunity. But like you say, giving him on a basis till the end of the season is potentially a a risky move. But we'll see what happens. It's going to be one to watch, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just wanted to touch on Barnes as well. Reports coming in Sweden that they are very close to appointing uh, their Sweden's under-21 boss, Poya Asbargi. That's what I'm going with. I apologise if I've butchered that. Um, we shouldn't be shocked. This is what Barnsley do. They go um, abroad and they try and pluck someone up and coming. Three out of four success rates, pretty good. But this is a really important one. And you said on last week's pod, of course, that you felt that they needed to go with experience in the Championship. Obviously, they're completely ignoring you, George. I would have a word. Quite clearly. How dare they? But no, let's be honest. It's it's probably what we all expected if reports are to be believed and this is what's going to happen. A complete unknown figure, as Barnsley so often do, to pretty much everybody in English football. No doubt about that. I mean, I'm just looking at him now. He's 36. He's the head coach of the Swedish under-21 international side. He's um, Iranian. But he has got a little bit of management behind him in terms of club football. He managed uh, IKF, IFK rather, Goatberg in uh, in um, where are they from? In Sweden. He always sees managed in Sweden before getting the step up to the national side. So 
he's got club football experience, which is obviously very different to international management. But it's a it's a risk. It really is a risk. Let's be honest. And the question is for Barnsley: Is it going to be another Daniel Stendel, another Valerie Ismail, or another Marcus Shop? That any managerial appointment is a lottery, of course. It is. You never know how things are going to go out. We all thought when Chris Hutton went to Nottingham Forest, it was going to be an outstanding appointment. It, we couldn't have been further from the truth. So it's important that we rem- remember that any managerial appointment is a gamble, just like when any player joins a new club. But for me, I think it's an even bigger gamble when you're going for somebody, when you're trying to stave off the threat of relegation, especially off the back of a fantastic season last year, to go with a go with a guy that's a complete unknown to English football. But several others have come into English football and done a terrific job and have proved everybody wrong. Just a few that you think of, Daniel Farker at Norwich, on the whole, very good. David Wagner at Huddersfield. Uh, Carlos Cavalli, Al Sheffield Wednesday, Yap Stam in his first season at Reading as well. So it's a risk, like I say. I think I would have been inclined to go for somebody that knows the championship. If I was Barnsley, highly unlikely it would have ever have happened, finances or whatever. But I would have done my utmost, even if it's just the end of the season, to try for Neil Warnock. I really would have a Mick McCarthy, somebody like that. Even somebody like maybe Neil Harris, still out of work. He might have been a shout Alex, for Barnsley. Alex Neil. Alex Neal's another one who I'm very surprised, I must say. He's not back in work yet. I'm I'm quite shocked by that. There's been a lot but, of good managers. You think Steve Cooper and Chris Wilder are on yeah. the market for a championship club anyway. Exactly. And obviously, that, we, we know managers like to pick and choose and obviously they want to go to the right club and things like that. But if you just looked at a list and thought, oh yeah, they're really good, we should go for them. Like you say, there's been a few around for a while now. So... Obviously, it's not a done deal yet as we record, but it seems like this guy is going to be coming in to be um, Marcus Shop's replacement. Interesting choice, to say the least. Can't really pass any comment, as probably any Barnsley fan can't, on what he's going to bring to the table and who he is or what he's going to do. But for me, just looking from where I am now, it seems a, a very, very brave and risky move. But we'll see. Time will tell. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're going to round off this week's pod, of course, with our shops and bankers as well. So I will kick things off. I'm going to go for, we've just spoken about them in depth. I'm going to go for Fulham to beat Barnsley at Craven Cottage for quite obvious reasons. Barnsley still in a massive rut, probably the worst team in the championship right now against arguably the best team in the championship. Certainly the probably the, the best goal scorers, the, the highest scoring team in the division in Fulham. Um, and I want to predict Mitrovic will get at least two. So <laughs> I'm going for Fulham to beat Barnsley as my uh, banker. And for my shock, I'm going to go for a game I'm actually at. I'm covering Huddersfield versus West Brom at the weekend for Yorkshire Live on Saturday with Grimsby playing on Friday night. So I'm going to go for Huddersfield to beat West Brom at the John Smith Stadium. I just feel like West Brom are in a little bit of a rut right now. I feel like there's quite a bit of discontent despite them being sat in third because of the style of football from what I've been reading online. And I just feel like West Brom haven't been that convincing, certainly in the last month, even when they've won matches, apart from probably the 3-0 win over Bristol City. You would say that some of the performances have been disjointed. And I just feel like Huddersfield, well, we know they've got a result like this in them. And Huddersfield, it's worth saying as well, um, should have beaten Cardiff before the international break. If they took their chances, they could have been 3-0 up before. Um... Kiefer Moore even headed in the equaliser. So, for me, I'm going to go for Huddersfield to beat West Brom in what is quite a difficult um, docket to pick a shot from, I think, this weekend. Yeah, it is quite a difficult one. 
Um, in terms of a banker this weekend, I'm gonna I'm gonna back Chris Wilder to make a winning start at Middlesbrough. They're at home to Millwall. Um, would expect Borough to come out with a complete new look, new identity, and, and really take the game to Millwall. And, and I'm interested to see how that one works out. I really am so. Middlesbrough this weekend is my banker as a shock, which I think has been a really tough one to call this weekend. I don't think there's many that can uh, can be counted, but I'm going to have to match yours. I can see Huddersfield doing a job on West Bromwich Albion. Huddersfield have been been a little bit inconsistent, but they, they have been ticking along relatively nicely for what we expected this season. I think and they've I got a scalp happening. in them, definitely. They have, without a doubt. I mean, they for, for example, they pushed Everton all the way in the League Cup not that long ago, so they've got it in them to to compete with the so-called bigger side. So this weekend, I'm going to go for a couple of home wins, the banker being Borough and the shock being Huddersfield at home to West Brom. Excellent. And that rounds off this week's episode of the Championship Chat podcast. Thank you to those, as always, for listening and for those that sent in their questions for our Q&A style pod. First one, and we hope you enjoyed it. Of course, next weekend, we'll be back to analysing another full weekend of Championship action which, of course, we're very much looking forward to. Uh, Make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed so you get our podcasts every week as soon as they drop live. And make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24 for regular updates from myself and George. You can also support our podcast through our Ko-Fi page where you can make a a one-off donation of the price of a cup of coffee just to help towards our weekly and monthly costs bringing you this regular championship content. Thank you as always for listening and have a great week. We'll catch you again very soon. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.